You're listening to a podcast from the Cinema Geekly Podcast Network. We're the geeks you deserve and the ones you need right now. Episode of I'm a Doctor, not a podcast, Cinema Geekly Star Trek podcast. Chief Petty Officer Anthony Lewis, along with the Fleet Admiral Ben Knight. Ben, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm actually really excited to talk about the season finale of Star Trek Discovery Season 2. As you know, uh, I was not particularly excited uh, about where the storyline uh especially the storyline that sort of evolved later in the season uh, where it was headed. You definitely were not. Uh, but I had an open mind. I was willing to see where they decided to take the show. And to say the least, mm. I was surprised where they've decided to take the show. I confess, I did not see this coming. No. Uh, and I would say in a, I'm excited and definitely in a good way, but... Do you feel like you've wasted two seasons a little bit? I can't... A a little... I mean, I I find it really interesting. Uh, I I guess we should probably talk about it uh, in detail first. uh, Because much like the last several episodes, I found this one to be kind of uneven, too, in a lot of ways. But, uh, I don't know, let's let's talk about it. Uh, It's season two... Episode, technically, 14, right? Yeah. Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2 is what it is called. Although you wouldn't know that because it's not like there's title cards like there used to be in the Back in My Day track. Maybe that'll be something they change going forward. Uh, So, last we saw the crew of Discovery and the Enterprise, they were ready to battle with the Section 31 fleet led by Control Leland. And they do. They battle. Uh, And I thought they did a pretty huge, like, starship space battle on the Orville earlier this season. (laughs) I had not seen a battle of that size and scope that looked that good on a science fiction television show before. I know, who who knew Michael Bay was now working on Discovery? (laughs) Discovery, like, topped it by a lot. I mean, this... Ben, this was the shit you see in the movies. This was a massive battle. uh, Huge proportions. It was insane. So, I mean, I I was joking about it, but it it really was Michael Bay-style in places, plus 
random, which I guess we may talk about at some point in passing, yeah. the um, BB-8's distant cousin. Okay. Or RTD2's distant cousin, perhaps. The little repair drones. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see. They were very Star Wars. There's so much going on in this episode, especially in the battles. I mm. don't even recall them. Oh, you should look them up. They are most definitely Star Wars style rather than Star Trek. Uh, but, so, we'll talk about this. I think I'll talk about it a little more in depth. But Discovery and Enterprise find themselves uh, outmanned. They're they're outnumbered. Outmanned is incorrect since these are all pilotless drones, essentially. Because Control yeah. Leland is the only physical being. Uh, but hey, good news. Tyler retrieves the Klingon fleet to assist in the battle. I did not know he left. With an actual Klingon on board who looked like a Klingon. Yeah, for the most part. And yeah. they were very cl- they were much more Klingon. They're in the D7 battle cruisers. The Klingon bridge that they showed is very mm-hmm. reminiscent of the bridge from the uh, motion picture. Uh yeah, especially in its so. in- especially in its incredibly small size. Like it was not a huge bridge or anything. Um, They're not all about the comfort, the Klingons, are they? No, they are not. Uh, I didn't even know Tyler left, but apparently he did and brought back Klingons. <laughs> uh, and then, also, Serana arrives with more Kelpians and Ba'ul fighters after receiving a farewell message from Saru, who was stunned and surprised, as was I, yeah. at their arrival. We'll talk about that more later, too. Stamets <laughs> is seriously injured in the battle and is cared for by Hugh. Uh, a Section 31 torpedo penetrates the Enterprise's saucer section without detonating, a la the visions uh, held by Michael Burnham. And I think Jet Reno also saw this um, yeah. when she was exposed to the time crystal. Uh, so that's coming true. Uh, but it doesn't detonate. Uh, however, a, second de- a secondary detonation kills Admiral Cornwall after she seals off the surrounding area. Uh, control Leland boards Discovery and is... Def- However, I'm going to read this sentence because it's amazing. I don't... This is as good of an uh, explanation as I've seen. This is an actual sentence from this recap. Control Leland boards Discovery but is defeated by Giorgio with magnetism. Yeah. That's... Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Essentially it, allowing Section 31's fleet to be destroyed. Meanwhile, in the suit, Burnham travels back to the past to set the five signals that led them to this point. She then sets a sixth signal for Discovery to follow as she travels to the future and promises to set a seventh once they safely arrive there. Makes sense. Uh, The crew of the Enterprise, so they do this, of course. They go through the the wormhole she goes through discovery goes through uh this this is all happening as leland dies and the control ships are defeated so this doesn't seem like it left a lot of room for wait 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 we stopped control you guys don't have to go anywhere (laughs) uh you could make the argument that because the sphere data was still on discovery that they had to get rid of discovery regardless um well control's a sneaky bugger and yeah, hidden in various places. You can't be too sure. Yeah. Although by the end of this, they were sure that control was gone. Uh, the crew of the Enterprise uh, go back to Starfleet headquarters in San Francisco and tell them that Discovery was destroyed in the battle. 
and on Spock's recommendation are ordered to never speak of Discovery or its crew or its spore drive or control or Section 31 (laughs) ever again to prevent another incident like this from occurring. Tyler is placed in command of Section 31. Uh, Months later, Spock finally shaves his beard. The Enterprise detects uh, Burnham's seventh signal, uh, letting them know that they have safely arrived at their destination and the Enterprise sets a course for a new adventure. Yes. So, uh, before we review, before we give our in-depth feelings Mm. on this, it should be noted, because of how vague the ending of this episode actually is, uh, that in case people were wondering, uh, the show in the third season will now exist in the future. Specifically, Actual the future. Confirmed they... facts, according to Alec, uh, Alex Alex Kurtzman, Kurtzman, who has yep. absolutely confirmed it. Yeah. Yep. Nine hundred and fifty years in the future, so long past Voyager. So this yep. will be into the far flung future. Uh, so something none of us has ever seen before. Uh, they did not actually make that clear in the episode. So they alluded to it and said the jump was to 950 years in the future, but um, that's that doesn't necessarily mean that the that's show where the show con- is going to be. Yeah, they certainly so alluded the, to it, but yeah, that Calypso was weird. Era. It's another good time to say if you haven't watched the short tracks. Um, yeah, you're probably going to want to go and do that. Uh, not that it adds a great deal to the sum of human knowledge. But, uh, it might, episode, but it might give you some hints as to what might be around the corner. Oh, I'm going to be re-watching that, because there will yeah. be some clues buried in there. Yeah. Uh, so, Ben, what did you think of the Season 2 finale? <sighs> um, crazy erratic pacing. Um, it was really and- frenetic. And the, I mean, you can still see evidence of that weird split where they had to split the episodes across two and, and everything else that we spoke about last week. So, mm-hmm. um, or in the last episode, if you're listening to this in podcast land. Um, so that might explain why bits of it were a bit strange. Um, in terms of content, there was a lot going on in there. There were a lot of odd moments in the sense that there were obvious alternative solutions that were not as draconian uh, across these two episodes, in fact. Um so, for example, we've got a spore drive which is capable of shifting the ship that contains all of this data to somewhere far away from where control currently is. Mm-hmm. So, head back somewhere near Earth and have the entire of um, Starfleet open fire on Discovery and see how control goes with that, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone kind of gave up a bit quick. Uh, you've yeah. also, I mean, there are, there are all sorts of other random issues here and there. But I think it almost feels like it doesn't matter now for this reason. Seasons one and two of Discovery, I'm not going to say they were superfluous because we've learned things and they've given us some context and there is no doubt a ton of foreshadowing for stuff that's coming up in seasons three and four um, or, or possibly even further ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's, been, it's been a fun ride. We now understand why the bridge had to be the way it was on Discovery because otherwise it's going to look damn strange in the 30... 30- third or 32nd century 33rd century third yes. century yeah 33rd. um you know so th- there's a lot of that stuff going on there there were some great little set pieces the, the the scene um the sort of split screen thing between saru 
uh, Pike and Giorgio was fun. Yep. Uh, the battle scenes felt a bit bloated to me. I mean, they were visually incredible. Uh, and especially say, like you know, the uh, like the far away, like the Michael, like the Michael perspective shots of the battle were particularly oh, yeah. impressive. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely incredible stuff. And if if you are somebody who's watching this on some sort of torrent uh, service, unless you've got a really well compressed uh, um, copy of this, mm. you're probably going to want to treat yourself to a legit viewing of this at some stage because a lot of the detail, I suspect, will be you know compression artifacts in uh, in any dubious copies. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so all of that is 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 brilliant. It, it again makes me cross that we still haven't seen a 4k um uhd version of uh of this show yet yeah uh because it's clearly shot in um ample resolution to make that a possibility mm-hmm. and star trek traditionally likes to leave us a couple of decades before treating us to a slightly upgraded um uh physical disc copy of things mm-hmm. so that's a bit annoying but um yeah, I, I just, it's a bit weird because at the end it's a bit kind of etch-a-sketch end of the world, it's a bit, you know, retcon, right, none of this ever happened, off you fuck, bye-bye. Uh, and I I liked so much about what we've seen, but mm-hmm. I don't understand why we had to see it. Yeah. Um, I suppose if they'd done a cold open in the 33rd century on a ship with a spore drive, which, you know, um, and, you know, I guess they were then having to explain centuries, you know, nearly a millennium of history to it. That would be a bit strange. Yeah. But I I just don't know whether we need... I mean, obviously, the reason we've got it is because we're having to pick up along the way these, what will be by then, you know, great historical characters. So, Georgiou, um, uh, Burnham, no doubt. Uh, it, it leaves us with a a vacancy in the captain's chair, which I presume now is full-time occupied by Saru. Um, We, we really are just kind of left floating in the ether. There's no end of season finale cliffhanger, which, you know, we've been kind of used to. No, in some ways, in some ways it was kind of a series finale. Yeah. And they're just going to birth a new series, which is what they did after the first two episodes. Of season one. Kind of, yeah. You know, so, I mean, I don't know how many false starts a show can have, and I'm not going to call them false starts in a pejorative sense, but, like, story-wise, they're false starts. I wonder how many times they can, you know, retcon us all before we go, do you know what, Discovery, what are you? Um, I'm I'm happy with the first one, and I understand the practical reason why that happened, and that's fine, and I enjoyed the first two episodes, and it gave us an opportunity to understand Alpha, Giorgio, and everything else, and that's great. Um, oh, Prime Giorgio, I should say. I understood the sort of feeling of the reboot in season two. That's fine as well. Um, it was great fun to see uh, the Enterprise getting a, a sort of rebirth. I mean, mm-hmm. we talked in the last episode about whether that bridge was just built for two episodes. Maybe seems to be the answer to that. Um, although, I. I wonder if CBS, I mean I know they're going to be in danger of spreading themselves a bit thin mm-hmm. but given the public love for Anson Mount as Pike there's and been the, the, a pretty public cry from fans well, there's been for a, big petition a for, 
Yeah. Uh, and number one, who had some of the, the best scenes, uh, in, in particularly in that finale. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I I could be happy with that, and I, I can even buy um, Spock in that series now. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it all feels a bit like they have just been quite severely trolling us for two seasons mm-hmm. and we've all gone uh, and now we're all going oh i'm not sure what we're angry about anymore because uh, there, there's a lot of problems with the storytelling though I, that's the only thing i hope now is going to be fixed because... yeah, I, have a th- I have a theory a strong theory but go for it as to as to what's happening here well first before i guess before i do that i should no I, well you know what before i do that do you have anything else about the episode you want to talk about uh, things that you enjoyed, things that you disenjoyed. Uh, I disenjoyed. I mean, it goes without saying, I still hate the term time crystal. Yes. Um, Which I didn't get used that much, but... No, it didn't. And I, I think, really, this final uh, two-parter did deliver on something that was well overdue. And it's something I've been wittering on about for two seasons now, which is the character investment. Um, though they ploughed a lot into the character investment in these last two episodes, some of it subtly, some of it less so. Um, so Jet Reno, for example, I now already am sensing that Jet Reno may be my new favourite um, uh, head of engineering on a Starfleet vessel, possibly ever. Yeah, she's um, great. Uh, the potential for that character mm-hmm. is is immense. Um, I liked the not conclusion I guess well I guess the, is it maybe it's the redemption arc I suppose of um, Stamets and Hughes relationship uh, it felt a little bit like I'm saying this because oh we're in, you know, probably about to die so it doesn't really matter anyway yeah. um, but yeah it, it, it was it was very heart stringy quite a lot of this episode and it's not until they press those buttons that you really appreciate how much the character investment has actually sort of maybe subliminally to some extent kind of seeped in there. I enjoyed the fact that in these two episodes they made Tilly far less um, a figure of fun. Yeah. She, I, I said a long time, I can't remember if it was this season or last season, that the actress who plays her is clearly very very good mm-hmm. and I felt that quite a lot of her dramatic ability was being squandered in in the humor side of it well that that a lot of that got wiped away uh, Saru has has turned into um, instead of the you know mandatory uh, adventure in latex that must adorn a bridge of every Starfleet vessel mm-hmm. um, he now has become a fully fledged character who I think of as being a character with with more dimension than um, uh, than he had been for a lot of the first two seasons. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot here. I, I I'm wondering what we're seeing the end of because, of course, Section Thirty One is um, we know that they have a, a temporal um, aspect to them. Yeah. We know that um, th- there's a number of people tied into that who. Uh, people would like to see again so we know that Starfleet or rather Section 31 is not beyond recruiting people plucking them out of timelines in order to serve particular purposes we know that from um, Voyager we know it from DS9 mm-hmm. um, so you know I wouldn't be surprised for example and it's the one that I'm, I, I genuinely am hoping will happen the first main character we ever saw in Star Trek who became a full time member of Section 31 was seven of nine, mm-hmm. and she is played by 
an utter devotee of the franchise and I just wonder whether we might I think maybe they'll think season three is a safe time perhaps to introduce a familiar face uh, in that regard um, I do think we're going to see Klingon Fandango again um, yeah because... I think he'll be a part of the I mean it's something I'll talk about after I give my thoughts on the episode mm. but there's definitely some I would say clues to that oh, come on I want to hear your clues your, your clues are Pretty often on the nose. Go on, let's let's watch. What's your theory that you were talking about? You don't want you don't want me to wait till I've I've talked about the episode at least a little bit. I'm, I'm, well, that's how excited I am about it. Uh, I'm, I'm, to talk about the episode and and, and sprinkle okay. your okay, well, on let, it. Okay, well let me let me get through the episode then. Uh, <laughs> I thought the last thirty minutes were actually pretty good, but there was like the first half that uh, I liked less. Uh, mm-hmm. So there are some people that were, I don't know why they were upset at this. I think this is like part and parcel of watching uh, a TV show, uh, but especially something that has high stakes or uh, like this is something you're going to see in the Avengers or in Star Wars. Like the the moment where, you know, the fate of the universe is at hand, but we must take a moment to be dramatic about something and talk to each other. Uh, this is our last moment, so we must speak for, you know, like Burnham did this with Spock. Like, all this shit is on the line. Why are you taking time to talk? I'm like, that's just part of shows, man. That's just part of, that's part of drama. Like, the yeah. action ceases for a moment so that these two characters can have a, a, a chat. It's, it's unrealistic, it's like yes. It's in a horror movie when someone goes into the basement. Yeah. You're like, well, yeah, of course they're going to do that. It's going to happen, guys. Yeah. Uh, that's just part of it. Uh, that's that's part of the show, and it's part of the dramatization of things. No, it is not realistic. Uh, people in the middle of World War II did not uh, stop on the beaches of Normandy to have a heart-to-heart while bullets were whizzing past their heads. No, of course not. That sort of thing doesn't really happen, but when it's dramatized, you can you can get away with it. So that, that sort of thing d- didn't bother me. Mm. What did bother me was just some of the the shit they ma- I feel like they just made up to make this battle uh, uh, larger in scope so Enterprise so it's Enterprise and Discovery and there's Section 31 Leland's ship and he's got like I don't know 12 other ships or something right and yeah. they're like oh gosh we're outnumbered and the you know people on Discovery are like or are we and then Discovery and Enterprise launch like thousands of pods and uh, shuttles that are apparently... I, maybe the shuttles would have weapons, but the pods? Like, are these escape pods? What are these things? Why do they have weapons? But there's like thousands of them. And they're like, you're outnumbered, Control Leland. He's like, or am I? And then his ship turns into like a million fucking little drone things. Just to make the battle ridiculously huge looking. And yeah. I'm like... What is this? Where is this coming from? This is, I don't know. It just seemed like, let's just do it because it'd be cool. And I don't always think that that's a good reason to do something. It made me confused. Uh, The first thing that I thought of when I saw that was, oh, they just want to make the battle look bigger. These are just, you know, these are nothing. There's nothing in here to be concerned about. There's no people on those things that I should be worried about. Or anything, this has just been done to raise the scope of the battle to make it 
gargantuan and and visual like a visual spectacle but yeah. uh you know it looked nice but i'm like what is this uh i mentioned it earlier tyler showing up with the klingons i didn't even know he left did he in the last episode i, I don't remember and I, I think there was a mention of it but i don't remember why or or sort I'll, of how or anything i'll have to go back and watch the first part again because I don't remember, I remember him being on that episode. But oh, I'm going to rewatch him. this whole season probably, yeah. probably this week. In truth, I don't remember him leaving. So it seems really weird mm. that he just showed up. That's not even the worst one, though. Obviously, it's Saru's <laughs> sister showing up. Yeah, that just seemed like what? Because even yeah, there was, Saru, there was no explanation for that really. Even Saru was like, what? Because he's like, you're, those are Ba'ul ships. It's my sister. You've learned how to fly those things? Like, they're not technologically advanced. How did yeah. any of this happen? That just made no sense. Well, actually, Saru sounded like a slightly angry fanboy, didn't he? A little bit. In his response, he's like, and you've learned to pilot fighter ship. That doesn't make any sense, yeah. Serrano. Okay. This has now happened. Yeah. yeah. Is this a dream? Uh, it was weird. It was super weird. Uh, I didn't I didn't care for that. Uh, I mean, that er- the early parts of this episode, I was so confused. And I'm like, what is even happening? Are they just making up stuff now? As they, I'm like, I know the show is made up because people thought it up. But, I mean, inside the framework of how the universe works, are they just making up new stuff as they go along? Like, oh, no, now they can fly advanced spaceships. Because reasons, I guess. I don't it, it I didn't like it. Um, also, I thought the Hugh and Stamets thing felt mm. kind of shoved together last minute. It, I, I wrote that down to being a kind of, oh, the world's going to end anyway, so. Yeah. yeah. I guess I've been denying it this whole time, and I do still care for you, obviously. Uh, but, you know, he was about to go to Enterprise to serve yeah. on their medical team. Uh, it, yeah. So I don't know. But maybe the relationship will be different when we catch up to them in Season 3. But it did felt it did feel like, you know... And, of course, he was a doctor. He cares for patients. He really does care for Paul. Um, even if he... F- feels like they're not a fit together anymore. So maybe yeah. it wasn't a romantic recoupling. More amicable breakup and yeah. you know, yeah. But we'll see. Uh, the whole thing with Leland and Control, what can I say, Ben? I'm just happy it's over. <laughs> uh, it did lead to a really good scene where, uh, and by the way, I liked uh, gosh, what's her name? Nan and Giorgio. Yeah. Yeah. Uh teaming up, they were fun. They were a fun duo together. And uh Giorgio kind of brought out Nan's darker side, I guess. Well, in response to basically do you want to come and join me giving him an absolute battering, her response was yum. Yeah. She's yeah. like, I'm Fair gonna enough. she's like, I'm gonna torture him. Uh yeah. and she flat out says, She's like, I'm gonna make you scream and it's gonna be awesome, essentially. And then she does make him scream and Michelle she was awesome here. She just giggles. Yeah. She giggles at yeah. this creature's torment. She kills him with magnetism, I guess. Uh, 
weird. This whole that whole thing was weird. I guess control wasn't the Borg after all, or were they? I mean, maybe it's still mm-hmm. left open for interpretation at some point. But uh, nothing was clarified in that regard. I'm just happy it's done away with. Um, let me talk about the stuff that I loved. Uh, I really enjoyed the scenes between Burnham and Spock. Um, Spock having a great excuse to not go back to Discovery because uh, the engine, uh, his engine on his shuttle was hit, so he'd be forced to stick around and let Enterprise pick him up. Um, you know, as it should be, of course. And go and find the person who is the least like him to hold on to. Yeah. Which apparently is supposed to be Kirk, but Kirk's yeah, always been clearly. the bridge between Spock and McCoy. McCoy is the mm. least like Spock. That's that's an yeah, discuss listeners. Yeah, that's an interesting one. That being said, it's, it's supposed to mean Kirk, but Kirk is not like a complete opposite of Spock. I mean, in some ways he is, yes, but not nearly as much as like McCoy is. But as it turns out, we've learned that McCoy and Spock are, you know, really close as well. Of course. Uh, it turns out he's just more grizzled about it. Uh, They're frenemies. Yeah. So I, I liked their, I liked their, uh, their scenes together. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed like the time travel visuals. Mm. I thought I really liked those. They were weird. Yeah, they were clever actually. They were like weird and kind of pretty looking. Some good sound design. Uh, behind all of it. I really like that. Uh, the uh, I'm kind of torn about the end, of course, where they go back to Starfleet. By the way, I loved the look of Starfleet Headquarters San Francisco. They mm. basically took some of those shots from the original series movies and yeah. kind of spruced them up a little bit. Uh, like, I always wondered what the hell that shit was on the Golden Gate Bridge when they would show them in the movies. Yeah, and here they made solar it. Panel. Here they made it very clear that they just lined it with solar panels. Makes uh, sense, which is pretty cool. They wouldn't need cars, obviously. Uh, yeah. The best, well, I mean, obviously, the best thing to come out of that was when they're all giving their names, and Number One gives her name as Number One. I know <laughs> <laughs> she's awesome, uh, and she was also very straightforward. She's like, you know, they blew up. Boom, we done. Uh, she did yeah. not want to answer these questions. <laughs> Well, on the subject of of Anson Mount and of Number One and everything else, I, I, we mentioned earlier on the Kurtzman interview, and I've, I've got a few things from it. But one of the things he did say that was brought to his attention by uh, whoever was interviewing him, saying, "You know, you know about this fan petition and so on." Yeah. Um, and he said, "Well, actually, yeah, we have heard that, and mm, it's possible. We quite enjoyed doing it. It was a big risk, but it worked out, and we quite like the idea of getting to tell more stories with that particular crew and that particular ship." So. Then rule it out. I mean, those three, the mm. uh, number one Spock and Pike, those guys are great. And that that ship looks beautiful. Yeah, it's a good looking ship, and they even uh, they retrofitted it a, a little bit to look e- a little bit even more like the TOS Enterprise on the outside, at least. Yeah, uh, it looked great, and uh, the I mean, the bit at the end where Ethan Peck shaves off his his beard and he comes out, he cuts his hair and he comes out like normal Spock. Was... I thought he'd have blue eyeshadow though. I was disappointed. Not At yet. What point was it in Spock's life when he went, do you know what I need? <laughs> blue eyeshadow. That's right. It's got to bring out those highlights a little bit. It goes, mm. it goes with the, the hint of green. 
It goes with the uniform as well. I mean, bit, yeah. it makes his eyes pop. He's stylish. So. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I, it, it, I he looked great. The bridge looked great. They even went to his little command console and he pushed buttons. Real oh, buttons. how much did you want him to look down his little scope? I know that I know his little um, oscilloscope display thing came on, which was nice. Yeah. But I really wanted him to look down his little desk binoculars. Yes. Uh, but he didn't. Uh, okay, yeah. so a couple of things. Let me talk about Tyler. My my feeling. My my at least my clues on Tyler. So mm. uh, I don't know if it was the Kurtzman interview, but it was something along the lines in like the same. It was like in the same article on I think it was on Trek Movie that uh, was talking about. It had like Kurtzman's quotes and things like that, mm-hmm. but um, they also noted that they are doing the Section Thirty One yeah. show. Yeah, which number one is interesting because Michelle Yeoh's Captain Giorgio is on Discovery. She's like yes. way in the future, uh, but that does at least tell us that either it's going to be Prime um, uh, uh, Giorgio or it will be mm-hmm. Section Thirty One. Traveled back in timey, Giorgio. So, I guess. Here's my feeling. Here's my feelings on, because I think they're going to bring her back in time, somehow. Because mm-hmm. I think she's going to be the lead of that show. But I also think um, Shazad Latif plays uh, Klingon Fandango. I think he's going to be back as well, uh, because there's a, there's kind of like a whole host of people from this show who are basically either tweeting or Instagramming essentially their goodbyes mm-hmm. to the show. Anson Mount, yeah. Ethan Peck, Rebecca Romaine, uh, Mary Chifo, mm-hmm. uh, who played the, uh, I was going to say the Empress, but she's the mother or something, right? Lorel. I mean, yeah. she's, I mean, she's gone. The mother of Klingons, yeah. Yeah. Jane Brooke, obviously, she died. Uh, yeah. Cornwell, she's died, but, um, you know who didn't say goodbye? Mm. Ash Tyler. He did not. He did not tweet, oh, it's been a shame that I gotta go, but we're I'm leaving. I mean, now, m- maybe technically he's leaving this show, but not leaving the Star Trek, CBS, All Access family of Star Trek shows in general. Maybe he's sticking around. And we know he's the commander of Section, Section 31, 31 at that point, so presumably, yeah. and he knows all about time travel now. Yeah. Um, By the way, I, I wanted to say... Escape. Yeah. Uh... I wanted to say, I forgot, I left this out when talking about the episode. Uh, I really liked Mary Chifo as Lorel in this episode. Mm. She, the Klingons, there were only two Klingons. It was her and, like, her bridge officer, and they were both really Klingon-y in this episode. At least, uh, at least she was. She was very shouty and talking about how it's a good day to die and laughing at how her face is all cut up, and they're like... Yeah. They said my reign would be bloodless. Uh, I thought that was... I thought she was good in this episode. Uh, I I think she's been fantastic throughout. She's had some difficult stuff to work with. Yes, But I I, I think she's been very good. And some difficult makeup to work through as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, They never cleared that up, by the way. That was clearly just a... Just a cosmetic choice they wanted to make. There's no, yeah. there's no, there's no reason they look different. Otherwise, other, other than they just wanted to do it. Um, so yeah, the the show ends, and 
I was left thinking, like, well, they traveled into the future. Okay, so how do they get back? Is was my thinking, and that's all I was thinking until I read this article where Kurtzman says we're jumping 950 years into the future for season three. Well, he seems to have been quite baffled by the fact that people didn't get that that's what they were saying. Um, yeah, because they specifically don't really say, like... I, okay, so... At first, I think this is why. At first, the plan seemed to be that they were... Every, and they did this in the first part of the episode, uh, in part one of Such Sweet Sorrow. Everyone mm-hmm. disembarks Discovery to go to Enterprise. And Michael is going to take Discovery with her into the future, and it's a one-way trip for Michael. But that's it. Uh, once everybody else hops onto the ship, though, because it's like, ah, oh, we can't get this fear data off and troubles are coming. We need to man Discovery. We're going to need all the help we can get. Uh, it's at that point where they're like, we got to go through the hole. Like, we got to take the ship through. And I'm like, okay, well, is everyone going to depart? And it's like, nope, they're not going to depart. They're all going to go with her. It's going to be a one-way trip for everybody? Like, well, they must be coming back then. Because it just yep. felt like this is when the show was taking place. Nobody honestly expected them to make a gargantuan time jump for the for, for the show. Uh, no, although, I tell you what, it's going to teach us to pay a lot more attention to the short treks if they do them for the next season, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they did manage to that's tie That's where in all that. of the information lives. Yeah. Now, here's my theory. Uh, now, this theory is why they did this, why they ended the season the way they ended it. And this theory is, I guess, only works uh, if it is being predicated on the idea that the show will remain in this time frame. Because uh, mm-hmm. he just said, we're going 950 years in the future for season three. He didn't specifically say going forward. Uh, so it's possible... Mm-hmm. that maybe only season three takes place in the future and they go back to their own time or something. Well, there would be some logic in that because we know from Calypso that um, in the same century, Discovery is there um, unmanned yeah. with a sentient AI on board, although mm-hmm. a benevolent one rather than malevolent, yeah. and um, that it had been on its own in that position for a very long time. Right. So one must assume at some stage Discovery travels some distance back in order to then be sent back into the future yeah. without its crew. One might assume that that's a sort of um, Voyage Home slash Endgame type scenario where, um, you know, because Voyager obviously they were separated from the Alpha Quadrant for uh, by distance. Mm-hmm. Here the separation from their home is by time. So one must assume at some point someone decides to go back and fix that. Although it is entirely possible that um, again, I'm presuming that this Calypso thing stays, actually they fit it in or whatever to to the show's Mm. um, canon. It's possible 950 years into the future Discovery is a state-of-the-art ship for its time but it is now like an antique. Yeah, That far into the future. Maybe they get a new ship and Discovery needs to be um, abandoned or something. But I don't know. We'll see. So anyway, like I said, this is predicated on the idea that the show is in the future moving forward. This is my theory anyway. Uh, Because, again, we don't know. Although I think it would be weird 
they did they did kind of go to a lot of they did take a lot of extra steps to be like we can never mention discovery again we can't talk about her crew we can't talk about her spore drive so it would be weird for them to come back uh you know, especially since no one is supposed to know about them. Well, here is my official long-range prediction. The final double episode of season seven of Discovery. Mm-hmm. That's a long-range prediction. It is a is long-range that. prediction. Yeah, well, my prediction is that the Discovery crew will um, transport their ship to the nebula where it resides uh, in Calypso uh, so that the crew can all, or what remains of the crew uh, by that stage, can go home. That would be like a bonkers... Like they to tie back to a short trek in the second season. That yeah, is a long range projection, but well, it is. But they're still going to have the same problem because if they took, if they all wanted to go home at some point in the future, um, then they'd still have the problem of leaving Discovery in the future. So Control didn't get it. Yeah, um, we know Control is neutralized because Kurtzman says Control is officially neutralized, and um, the date is there, but Control isn't. And we also know that. Um, uh, that it becomes sentient and things like that, mm-hmm. but so, uh, and we also know that uh, that control is not a big bad for season three at the very least, yeah. because there are, in his words, bigger problems in um, the thirty third century. Yeah. Uh, so, eh, I, I'm yeah, I'm going to call it final double episode of season seven. Discovery gets sent off where it should always have gone, and the crew, such as it is, probably excluding Burnham because that would make literally no sense, um, is uh, is sent back home. Uh, okay, or, so, all, or all ends up working for 31, who knows. Uh, okay, so anyway, my, my theory hinges basically on one human being, Alex Kurtzman. Uh, so <laughs> he, uh, as best as I could tell, originally, when the show was originally planned, when it had its original showrunner, whose name escapes me, is the guy who did Hannibal, uh, and yes. season season whatever it was of Enterprise um, I can't remember his name for the life of me now but it's, it's uh, he was the, re- the original showrunner and they're talking about doing like an anthology series of Star Trek uh, that would take place with different crews and it would take place in different times like each season would be a Brian Fuller sorry Brian Fuller came of course. to my brain so I knew it would get there eventually but yeah so like the original pitch that I heard was that it would you know each season would be a new crew in a new time um, you know, stuff would take place during TNG, some stuff would take place during TOS times, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then he ended up leaving the project. They brought on new showrunners, and it firmly was getting planted in this time in between the cage and the original series. Mm. Uh, and it took a little bit, but I'm like, okay, I can just eventually I'll just be able to get on board with it. The The visual continuity thing is clearly not something that's going to go away so I'll just have to put a mental block around it and get through it for my own sake um, and then I was able to enjoy the show for the most part mm-hmm. but uh, those showrunners uh, left and they brought in Kurtzman and or he was promoted to showrunner or something I don't know maybe he was on the team already but I'm not positive uh, all I know is that he's running the show now yeah and he talks about it in the interview he where he's talking about moving the show into the future. Um, and he said his primary reason for wanting to do it was something similar to when he was working with J.J. Abrams on the, the Kelvin uh, verse Star Trek. Yeah. Where 
they're like, you know, what can we do with these guys? Like everybody already knows that, you know, what happens to Kirk and what happens to Spock and like the stakes aren't really there. And they're like, well, if we split it off into its own universe, we can create our own stakes. Like their futures aren't written in this universe. So if we split it off into a completely new universe, we can do whatever we want with it and we can play around with it and stuff. And, um, obviously this show is, was always going to be in the prime timeline, uh, because that's what, uh, you know, CBS controls, Mm -hmm. uh, having no control over the movie division section by Paramount, uh, that Kurtzman came in here and he's like, I don't want to do the show in this time period. Uh, he's like, there's too many constraints. There's too many, uh, there's too many, you know, if we, do stuff. It's clear that continuity is important to him. I know there's some people for whom continuity is not important. They just want a good show, and that's fine. Uh, but there are continuity people out there like me. I think there's a lot of continuity people out there who feel like Star Trek is one big interconnected universe, and they mm-hmm. would like some some semblance of continuity. I know it's broken all over the place if you want to get nitpicky about stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that he just wanted to free himself up from that. And they're like, we're gonna, you know, once the big change happened early, you know, early in the season, they're like, we're just going to move towards this and we're going to put the show in a place where we are completely free from all constraints. We are going to be so far ahead of so far past anything that came before that that stuff will still exist, but we won't be, you know, you you can't say oh well they had this in Voyager because like Voyager was hundreds and hundreds of years ago uh, timeline wise they will be under no constraints like that stuff will exist I think he said that they there will be references to historical events and things like that oh, of course um, things you know, it wouldn't be Star Trek without doing something along those lines but uh, I think that they did this obviously because they just wanted to free things up for them to do something new I'm excited because. This is what I wanted when they announced the oh, new Star Trek show. Yeah, everyone wanted post Voyager. Um, yeah, when they when they're like, "Hey, it's a new Star Trek show," and I'm like, "Cool," and it's like it's called Discovery, and I'm like, "Oh, this is going to be so cool!" Just wait for them to announce that it's like, you know, I was only thinking like a hundred years past Voyager, but I'm not. I'm actually not positive how many years it is after Voyager. It's 950 years from. Oh, it's TOS. It's a- couple of hundred years then after Voyager. Okay, so, yeah. We're looking at more than I was expecting past Voyager. Uh, a bigger gap between Voyager and this show than there is between, like, TOS and TNG. Yeah. And that's what I wanted. I basically wanted a TOS and TNG-sized gap. Um, something that just allowed for something brand new, and they're going with an even bigger gap than that. So... And and they've moved us geographically as well, of course, because assuming they remember that they put this in the script from the last episode, um, this is going to be the Beta Quadrant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, well, so, they noted that. Yeah, they. I mean, we'll see if they... I mean, who well, knows so what will take that's place. Iconia, that's Konos, um, it's Krios Prime, it's Ardana, uh, it's probably where the... Still haven't met them, but we know they exist. Um, Fendomar exist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, I like the idea of going there. Um, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, and it, yeah, 
when you're talking about a couple hundred years past Voyager, there could be significant technological leaps. The show might not even fully take place within, you know, the Milky Way. That's entirely possible. Like, I'd, they can well, pretty and, much Enterprise. make up whatever they want. Enterprise pretty much take pl- uh, took place in the Beta Quadrant, didn't it? So yeah, we're going to get references back to that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you've got Vulcans and Andorians and Orions and Bolians and yeah, yeah, yeah. Rhysians and whoever else, and the Gorn and the Norskans, although, God, I hope the Gorn are extinct by that point. Um, <laughs> you just got hope, haven't you? But, you know, it's I like the fact that we've not jetted back off to the Delta Quadrant just to yeah. please people. I like the fact that... Um, you know, it's not Gamma Quadrant because don't really. I don't give a crap about the Gamma Quadrant much anymore. Yeah. Um, DS9 lived there, and that'll do nicely. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd I'd like the fact that we are heading off to a slightly different place geographically. I like the fact you know that I'm always obsessed with the fact that it's uh, it's where the Iconians are from. Uh huh. Um, Ben's still so waiting. I keep saying it's going to be the Iconians. Sooner or later, I am the broken clock who will be right twice a day. Ben is waiting for Iconians like how I'm waiting for Bigfoot to appear on Supernatural, but <laughs> I'm told it will never happen. He is. He just goes by the name Moose. <laughs> That's what happens if you take a Yeti and shave it. He is a bit... Oh, it's he, it just, it's just Sam? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah Hello, so boys. I'm... I'm I don't know. Moose. I'm... Sorry. Largely, I'm pretty excited to see what they do with the show. I sort of feel like if you're looking at this from a continuity fan's perspective, season one kind of broke the continuity and season two fixed it. And season three is where the show begins. Yeah. Uh, So uh, that's kind of what they (laughs) did. The best way of making television, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, and it's going to be really weird. I was just thinking about this when I go on my, some future Star Trek marathon where I watch all of Star Trek in chronological order, I'll have to do like Enterprise, The Cage, and then two seasons of Discovery, and then I just leave Discovery until the very end, and then I pick it back up again after I've watched everything else. That is genuinely quite crazy. That'd be a a weird way to watch the show. But that is how I I watch it. I was about to say, stick the movies in there as well. Just yep. uh, you had a little bit more. Yeah. Oh yeah, watch the movies as well. So uh, it'll be a crazy ride <laughs> for sure. But I'm a uh, crazy you, have to, what, One episode of DS Nine, you'll have to watch half of it during the original series too. Yeah. Well, normally um, it's it's bad. It's bad when I hit Deep Space Nine, Ben, because then I'm watching. Uh, I'll watch some TNG in the morning and then Deep Space Nine at night to balance yeah. it out. Uh, since they're all happening. That's why you start to get really well acquainted with star dates. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, uh, Okay, so before we go, we should, uh, and before we give the score, obviously, as well, we should Mm. give it a nice, uh, healthy score for this episode. I'd like to thank our good friends over at ThinkGeek. Cinemageekly.com slash Trek, if you're interested in buying uh, specific Star Trek merchandise. Uh, from ThinkGeek. God, what have you found this week? Uh, tell me you found one. Tell me I found what? Tell me you found a Star Trek product from ThinkGeek this I week. I sure did. Boy, oh, did I yeah. ever. A Star Trek Wesley Crusher polo shirt. And Shut up, Wesley. And if you remember Wesley, you remember the uniform I am talking about. 
The one with the oh, red dude. and orange and blue stripe with the gray top. They that is the good people of Think Geek have turned this into a polo. Oh, I found it. There it is. It's a three-button gray polo with stripes, just like Wesley's uniform. It is a Think Geek exclusive. Instant puberty, thanks to the power of Q not included. Uh, wow. It's for uh, 1997 American. Uh, <laughs> it has the tagline of, he'll grow on you. <laughs> well, there's that. But also, I tell you what, if you like your um, clothing a little warmer, mm-hmm. uh, you could go for the Star Trek Wesley Crusher bomber jacket whose strap line is zip it Wesley um, also <laughs> for 1997 American yep. um, and very similar design oh they are I was going to say crushing it that seems inappropriate nope but, it is a perfectly appropriate <sighs> punnage yeah oh how glorious uh, but the good people at Think Geek bringing this to you uh, go to cinemageekly.com slash thinkgeek or click the support us link in the show notes for this episode that you're listening to to pick up uh, Star Trek merchandise from Think Geek. If you're all holed up on Star Trek merchandise, then just go to cinemageekly.com slash thinkgeek to shop generally. Uh, it helps us, it helps them, it helps you. Everybody wins. Uh, all right, Ben, what would you give the finale of season two of Discovery? This is a tough grade. I, I it is a really tough grade. Parts of it annoyed me so much and parts of it just left me so gleeful mm-hmm. i am gonna say i'm gonna give it a four mm-hmm. and say right come on fresh start but can we just say the last fresh start please yeah um you know let's let's now get stuck in it. it it deserves a four for its ambition if absolutely nothing else in fact uh originally i'd written down four and a quarter seeing as we're doing that these days mm-hmm Actually, do you know what? No, I'm going to go with four and a quarter because okay. of the level of its ambition. And some of the performances um, within it were truly excellent. It's just a shame that it's a bit of a mess um, script-wise. You're just dragging me right along with you, Ben. Like, I, I had given this show a four as well. But then when you're talking about the, the scope and the scale of its ambition and you just had to give it that extra quarter, sitting mm. there listening to you and I'm like, you know what, I think I agree. I, mm. I'm giving it a four and a quarter too, I guess, but only because Ben dragged me along with it. Made a good <laughs> point there right at the end. Had you not made that point, I'd have just given it a four. That's what I, for that's the, what I do. For the same reason. Uh, it had wonderful moments. It also had just blindingly confusing moments. Uh, but, yeah, this was a show that was in a place where the people who were making it didn't want it to be, and they had to find a way to get it out of there. And that was going to be messy. So, you know, the more you, the more you say that, I mean, in the spirit of com- convincing each other of things, mm-hmm. yeah, actually, in fact, I was, I was just flicking back through the interview with Kurtzman, and where he's talking about um, dealing with the the canon and everything. If you apply that sort of filter to reading his words, you are quite clearly right. Yeah, he basically is saying when you read when you read the words of that interview, he is saying, yeah, yeah, look, we've stuck with it and we had a load of fun with it and it was a big challenge, but. I've been there before because we had that problem on Abrams, mm-hmm. and yeah, no point in fighting he's, it. Let's just make something brand new that doesn't rely on anything else. Yeah, yeah. But that does now mean no excuses. Season three. No, you got nothing. Yeah, we'll see how they do. You get one, and you get one wave of the magic wand as well, because yep. you know you can't. One wave of the Q hand, hand, one snap of the fingers. Absolutely, that's all you're getting. Yeah, uh, that's like a dated reference now. Unfortunately, Ben, like somebody, 
And the nineties is like a snap of the fingers. It's like, oh, you're talking about the Q, but now here today these kids are like, Oh, you're talking about Thanos. <sighs> yeah, that's true. Um question yeah. based again on uh Kurtzman's interview. Yeah. So he says, because he's asked about whether the uh, whether control is still a thing. Yes. Uh, I don't know whether we will ever find out whether control turned into the Borg. I still am saying yes. Mm-hmm. I think th- I think the Section Thirty One show might deal with that, or possibly actually the Picard show might deal with that. Um, that would be the natural choice for it. Uh, but the so he says there's far bigger problems awaiting um, in the thirty third century. Mm-hmm. Now we're heading to the Beta Quadrant. We know some of its Residents, um, prediction as to whether big bad problem in 950 years time is going to be an existing uh, race of the Beta Quadrant that we know about, or that we've met or heard about in the case of the Fendamar, for example, mm-hmm. or completely new, super futuristic, um, make you crap the bed in the same way the Borg did first time we met them type big bad. I was going to say it could just be the Borg for all we know, but. Uh, like they've encroached and they control so much space. Um, it's hard to say. I'm hoping, my feeling, I mean, look, if it turns out to be the Borgers, I'll go with the show. Uh, I'm not going to hate something just because they're relying on something from the past. But my feeling it is... It would be a cop-out, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, my feeling is that they're going to do something new. I think they're going to try to invent new stuff. Because I mean, what's the point in going this far forward if you're not going to, you know, the whole fun of that seems to be we can invent everything. Well, Kurtzman does seem to say that because he's also asked about, um, and this is where he effectively completely contradicts my theory about us eventually seeing someone like Seven uh, in, mm-hmm. in in season three. Yeah. Uh, he's asked effectively, you know, about familiar faces. Effectively, uh, I think he, I think the, I can't remember it's a while since I read it, but I think the context of that was actually about bad guys, uh, and he basically says no. Um, you know, everyone's everyone's dead. Everyone we know about is dead. Yeah. Uh, it's a completely new thing, and so although obviously anything's possible, I don't see a future for a uh, future discovery being littered with familiar faces because mm-hmm. they are all spaced us by now. Yeah, yeah. He he notes that we're so far past that point that all of that is a very distant memory. Uh, yeah, he said they're excited to how they're going to put the elements of Star Trek into an entirely new universe. I mean, that sounds like that's what they're going to do. That's full-on reset talk, isn't it? They get to make everything. Ship designs, uniforms, weapons, alien races, uh, Mm. technologies, you name it. They get to essentially invent all of it, a la what they did when TNG came around. Uh, That is pretty exciting, but that's a bloody big responsibility. It is. I honestly don't know why they didn't do this in the first place, though. That seemed like the far better option, because there is so much previous Star Trek. Why not start with something new? I mean, I know they wanted to try to attract a casual audience uh, Mm. to the show by... I mean, I don't know how they thought they were going to do that by placing it in the time right before TOS, maybe because they're... You know, I mean, they did do Spock... Um, Mm. And he did turn out to be good, but, I mean, that's not going to be a huge draw for casual fans who have sort of just heard about Star Trek, but aren't really into it. And this largely... I think actually it might have put a lot of people off when you introduce the Enterprise, because at that point people are like, oh, I didn't watch Star Trek then, I don't know anything about this. You know, I I can imagine that actually being, yeah, quite a turn-off. 
And it seems like the show has done well enough on its own that clearly it's spawning all of these other projects. It's, I, this is, I mean, I'm glad they're finally doing it. I think this is what they should have done from the beginning. Um, mm. Well, the of, weird thing is they had more time to do it before because yeah. obviously Discovery as a concept was quite a long time in the making before yeah. anyone went anywhere near even a script. Yeah. Uh, and because like of Kurtzman... Oh, go ahead. Well, because of the Kurtzman changeover, and I think you are right about all of that, I think given that changeover, they've now left themselves with a very short time to create effectively an entire new universe where the only consistent thing is uh, the, the the structure, if you will, of a um, Federation vessel and crew. Yeah. Uh, it does, of course, mean that we're probably likely to see a bit more of a, a, sh- a shift in personnel because... We didn't. I think it's quite deliberately we didn't see a conclusion of Burnham and Saru in terms of who is now in charge of that ship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we may see possibly even a different approach taken to commanding that ship mm-hmm. in due course. As in, maybe we don't. Maybe the whole point about it not focusing on captains. Maybe there's a reason for that as well. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, this sort of just felt like best way to put it, I think, is sort of like a beautiful mess. Uh, <laughs> at times, the show has been fantastic. I I would say, arguably, m- much of the show has been pretty good. Uh, but trying to figure out this new formula that they were trying to go through with mm. not focusing on a collective... Um, ensemble, not trying to focus on the captain, uh, that whole new formula mixed with all the other stuff that they were trying to do came very jumbled at times too. And just wasn't as clean as I was hoping for. And now they're going about as clean as you can get. Uh, I think you've nailed it. Beautiful mess is spot on. Yeah. uh, And they're going to, and I think they have a bit of an advantage here because it's not like all of these characters are, going to be fresh. These are going to be characters we know, and some of them we actually like quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you've already got the advantage of people already kind of like these characters. So starting them fresh in a new position, uh, I think you got a bit of a head start, a better head start than the next-gen crew had when they started, because everything was brand new, including them. Uh, And It was a a tough adjustment. I think this will be a little bit easier adjustment. So, Uh, all right. That's the show for a while, everybody. Uh, head on over to cinemageekly.com. You can check out the archives of the show if you want to play catch-up. And, uh, of course, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and uh, Stitcher. Just search for I'm a Doctor, not a podcast, and uh, hit subscribe. And that way you can hear us uh, come back. Uh, what will it be, Ben? I'm guessing next year sometime? Well, we'll be Oh, no, we're going to be back do. before the end of this oh, year. God. The Picard Show, I forgot! Yeah, it's already in production. Yeah, we'll be back before the end of the year. Uh, you know what that means? I, my plan my plan originally was to get a time crystal so that you and I could go meet Aurora. We could go meet Aurora 950 years from now, because she's already there waiting for us. Uh, but Oh, that's where she went. Now uh... we're going to have to find a way to get her back to us, because I forgot about the Picard Show. So uh, I know a guy. 
I mean, this is gonna then ask you questions. This is gonna have to be a lot of driving back and forth here because we're gonna have to go 950 years to get Aurora and then come back in time, but not all the way back in time because, of course, the Picard show is taking place uh, after the events of uh, Star Trek Voyager. So it is. We'll have to go like 950 years into the future, but then go back like a couple hundred years. I know this guy who. Um, finds it fun to gallivant around the galaxy using his omnipotency. Mm. Um, he's he's just a finger click away. He'll sort it out for us. Okay. Has he got like a like a good Uber rate or something? I don't know how the how much they charge for that sort of. I, I, I hear his, he is in the future. Well, I think his son's doing um, Uber now. <laughs> so, I'll look into it anyway. Okay. So uh, that's it. Uh, for Ben Knight, I'm Anthony Lewis. Uh, we'll be back a little bit later this year with uh, Season 1, Episode 1 of Whatever the Hell the Captain Picard Show is Called. <laughs>